Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and I'm joined as always with my brother in the Lord, Dylan Keniston. Good afternoon, Dylan. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing? Oh, doing great. Doing real, doing real well. Very nice. And uh, before we begin, I want to give a shout out to my mother-in-law. Uh, she was uh, particularly helpful in allowing us to get together today by helping uh, my wife with uh, with, with the kids. kids. Uh, big shout out! Yeah, yes. big shout out! Uh, yeah, so. and actually, shout out to my wife too. She's with she's with Brielle right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank the Lord for our wives. Yes, and our uh, and mothers and laws. <laughs> exactly. Right. For, for those and mothers watching too. Our kids. Exactly. Everybody Everyone. Watching kids. Big shout out. Yeah. It allows us to do things like this. Yes. So. That is no small grace offered. So. Exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, our topic today is, uh, I think, a very important topic. It's the topic of personal finance, as well as tithing and offering. So we're going to kind of, uh, you know, wrap those two topics together into one because they're so closely related. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we did a, a discussion on, on uh, capitalism, property rights, income, you know, that kind of thing. Then last time we had an interview with Franco Urbias about being a business person uh, from a Christian perspective, an entrepreneur. Uh, he has four businesses and basically, you know, he was sharing some of his experiences, how he approaches it from a Christian perspective. So now we're going to take it, kind of narrow it down to the individual personal finance aspect of things. Like, so how are, how are we as Christians supposed to approach the topic of money in our own lives when we do our own budgeting and figuring out how to spend our money. And it, it can be more than just than money. It can be time as well. And those are important things too, talent as well as your treasures. But I guess today, the question is, where do we begin uh, as Christians to address the topic of personal finances? Before we go into tithes and offerings, um, where would you say, Dylan, is the starting point? Yeah, sure. This? Well, so, I mean, like you said, I think it was a good intro that you gave because we talked about in a previous episode um, about how, you know, the about capitalism from a biblical perspective is rooted in the notion of, of private property, which is itself found in, you know, kind of the, the presupposition of the Eighth Commandment. You know, thou, mm -hmm. thou shalt not steal kind of assumes that somebody owns things. Now, if you stop there and that's all you say, mm -hmm. so like a natural next step might be to say, okay, I'm the sovereign steward over this property and no one else can lay claim to it without my voluntary consent. It's all mine <laughs> and I have total ownership over it. Nothing comes or goes without my saying so or doing so. Um, so nobody else has any claim on, on what I have. Mm -hmm. So um, you might think that. And, and in a vacuum, it might sound like a logical conclusion from private property. But one of the things we saw is that God's word hems us in. It keeps us from drawing that conclusion. And it gives two, at least two kind of outside claims on, on private property. And those are tithes and taxes, right? So we're going to come to those in a little bit. So once we've said, okay, so there's tithes and taxes. Now, whatever I have besides that which God has called on me to, to give, you know, of you know, of my own. So I, I mm -hmm. just can't do any old thing that I want with the, these other funds. Now, with the with that which remains, now, how am I managing that? How am I acting as a steward over it? Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of big picture. I would say, you know, to ground it, everything belongs to God. That's the, that's the very first thing. Before we start talking about like personal finance, taxes, ties, everything belongs to God. So we read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers at, uh, as it is this day. Um, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the mm -hmm. fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So so um, everything belongs to God, right? So, uh, and, you know, now within that framework, once we've said that, now the next thing is how are we to steward that which uh, God has put in our possession, right? So when we think about uh, gain or, or pursuit of income, you know, one of the important things to remember is that gain is never presented as an end in itself, right? We gain so that we can give. We give, you know, we give to, you know, for our lives, for our families, our church, right? 
Nothing is our own. It all belongs to God. Uh, and money is no different, right? So in um, Matthew 19, verse 24, Jesus says, again, I tell you, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, the pursuit of income and, and finances generally, this is a very, it, it's a minefield, right? It can be a bit of a dangerous subject. So it's something that we want to think through carefully how we manage our finances. And there's a couple of different, like when I think of there's warnings in scripture, right? As we just saw a few. So when we talk about when we talk about income, I'll put it that way for now, there's there's lots of warnings about wealth and about saving in scripture, which is partly why I think it's a bit of a touchy subject because we're not always sure how to put the thing together. So like in <laughs> like in Matthew um, uh, 19 and uh, 19 to 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves mm -hmm. break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven. Uh, and then you know there's uh, a handful of other passages that are oh, yeah. that along along the same lines. Um, so, you know, how now do we think about saving when, you know, here's Jesus saying, don't lay up treasures in heaven. Well, there's other texts in scripture that do encourage saving, mm -hmm. right? So Proverbs six, uh, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wide, wise without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. Uh, how long will you lie there? O sluggard, right? So she's the ant, the wise ant is preparing. Likewise, um, Proverbs thirteen twenty two: A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, mm -hmm. but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Uh, Twenty one verse five: The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Uh, mm -hmm. Twenty one verse twenty: Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. So again, again and again and again, there are passages that do encourage <laughs> saving. So, you know, now how do we go about doing that? And how do we manage that which has been saved? How do we budget that which is given versus that which is used for, you know, for, for, our, for our purposes or for our family's purposes? That's kind of the subject mm -hmm. at issue currently. How, basically, how do you manage your money mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective? Um, and kind of what are some of the categories we should be mindful of? What does budgeting look mm -hmm. like? Um, so those are kind of the high-level concepts that we would start with. And I think one, one principle that we can start with also is that the money itself is a is a tool it is a created object it is owned and controlled by god you mentioned several passages uh psalm 50 is one of my favorites where the lord says if i were hungry i would not tell you for the world is mine and all it contains you know i i know every yes. beast of the forest every cattle on a thousand hills is is mine, it's, mine. Yeah, exactly. it's like it's all his it doesn't yes. need anything yes. right it doesn't need anything at all and then when god uh brings israel into the land, he tells them in Deuteronomy, uh, he warns them actually in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, um, be, in chapter 8 verse 17, beware that you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And this is what the Lord says, you shall remember the Lord your God because it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Exactly. Right? So wealth and the power to get wealth uh, come from the hand of the Lord. So I think the first thing we have to do is not fall into idolatry. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm a big fan of talking about idolatry. I'm not a big fan of idolatry itself. I'm a big fan of talking about it because I think it really is the root of every sin. You can tie it back to some uh, form of exchanging our love for God with a love for something else. And it could be just love for ourselves. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talks about uh, a ver you know, the concept of loving money. And this verse gets butchered, and I think it's abused too often. I think people misquote it. Hmm. So I want to read it very carefully from the uh, ESV uh, Bible. So it starts in uh, chapter 6, verse 9 of 1 Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what Paul is, is highlighting here, and, and earlier, earlier he talks about being content. All throughout chapter 6 he talks about contentment. Uh, we don't, you know, you know, if we have food and clothing with these we'll be content, you know, things like that. So, really, at the end of it, uh, Paul is, is highlighting the importance of um, 
that loving money mm. is what gets people into trouble. Yeah. Well, that and, and also that, that wealth itself can be a temptation. It can be a snare, right? Because it invites us, as you read in that passage, yeah. it invites us to forget about God and that God is sovereign and that all of our increase comes from his hand and is not of our own strength. So like wealth invites pride and that's one of the one of the dangers in it. So it's not to say that money itself is sinful to have, right? But nevertheless that there are dangers that can come with increase. So what does it look like now to manage that, to check that? Yeah, exactly right. So those are some that's just some important things to consider there. Um I'm also one of my favorite verses is, uh, and I think, to me, I think it sums it up very well. It's a proverb, uh, Proverbs 30. Um, I call this the, uh, the middle class proverb. Uh, <laughs> because in Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, uh, this is a proverb from the words of, from Agur. Uh, and he says, uh, two things I've, I ask of you, den- deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So he's kind of contrasting two things here for us to think about. Uh, The first is, if we're too wealthy, uh, the temptation is to say, who is the Lord? I don't really need the Lord because I can trust in myself, my own power, my own strength, things like that. That's temptation number one. But on the other side, if, if we're in poverty, temptation number two is to steal uh, in the name of, you know, my own satisfaction. And that's, you know, breaking, obviously, God's law, profaning the name of God because now I, I, I'm saying I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm stealing things and people see that. And, and it's the name of, of God is profaned. So those are the two errors we want to avoid. So um, I think, so number one, let's, let's not be lovers of money. Money itself cannot be the end goal. We need to be serving the Lord with this that he's given us. And number two, uh, just it's not necessarily saying that it's wrong to be wealthy. It's just that Correct. the anger is saying this is the, this is the temptation. Like, if we're wealthy, it is very, very easy to say, I don't need God anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's what Israel did. That's what a lot of countries and a lot of people have done all throughout human history. But at the same time, utter poverty, it just tempts us to steal that bread, to steal that food so that we don't go hungry. You know, so I don't know. It's just, I think, a good place to start for that. Your thoughts on that, Dylan? Well, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think Proverbs 30 that, you know, some of the verses you've pulled out here is just a great summation of avoid erring on either side, right? That's kind of like one of those, uh, kind of one of the takeaways there. Um, so, yeah. yeah, definitely possible to, uh, to err on either side here. Okay. So now the question is, how do we manage the money? Mm-hmm. So you get this money, you have a job, you have income. What do you, what what are we supposed to be doing with that? So it, it, <laughs> spend less than you earn. Okay, so number one, yeah. <laughs> number one, and um, less than you earn. I, I mean, that seems just, uh seems kind of count- just like, intuitive, right? Well, that's just like well, you would think so, but I mean, just the, the proportion <laughs> of of American consumers that are in debt is just mind boggling, and I don't just mean like mortgage debt. I mean like consumer debt, like credit card debt. It is mind boggling, and it's just spend less than you earn. That's just like that's just faithfulness with money one hundred and one, right? Um, yeah. I think budgeting is key, right? So yeah. um, there's a, and actually, so I'll, I'll just share some of the tools that I use. You know, the tool that I probably use most for, for budgeting is a tool called mint.com. Um, you know, I signed up for mint. I kind of, you basically, you sync your accounts to it and track your spending and it categorizes it, right? So, I mean, one, one thing that, you know, comes to mind is like what gets measured gets managed, right? So don't love money, track it, measure it, Keep an emotional distance from it because it's only a means to an end. But it is important, nevertheless, to manage and to measure uh, what it is that, you know, how is money going out the door? How is money coming in? And for the money that's coming in, where is it being allocated, right? So, I mean, probably the three biggest expenses right off the bat are going to be housing, transportation, and food, right? That's that's generally, um, those those are the big three. Um, And, you know, and... On, on the housing front, I mean, people will give you different uh, different recommendations. I mean, I, I think generally 
you know, from your your take home pay, your net your net income, right? Tw probably twenty five percent. You know, probably mm -hmm. not much more than thirty three percent would be would be kind of a, a an average number there. That's you know probably going to be okay. All else being equal, um, and then you know transportation. Just I don't know, buy used cars, right? So like here's the here's mm -hmm. the thing. One of the things that is dangerous, especially from a Christian perspective, is materialism and this desire to keep up with the Joneses. I've got to get the newest cell phone, right? Mm -hmm. Cell phone 11 just dropped. That thing's got three different camera lenses on it. No way, right? I, get, I mean, if you got the six and it works, praise the Lord for a cell phone that works. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like keeping up with the Joneses is, is just not something that is a, it, that, that is not how we behave as good stewards of of God's of God's assets, right? Because it's just endless spending on self, on convenience and on luxury. And that's what the world would have us believe is where satisfaction and fulfillment lie. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's just not, right? So whether it's, you know, uh, buying I don't know, whatever whatever is tempting for you, you know, maybe that's new clothes or, you know, maybe that's a new techno technological gadget, maybe it's a new computer, right? If you're able to get by and and find contentment in that and all of the riches that God has already blessed you with, that is great gain. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just like practically keep, try to keep your housing expenses low. Um, I mean, buy used cars generally is, is a good rule of thumb. Uh, and then, you know, on the eating front, on the grocery front, you know, I, I, I'm not going to champion any particular places. Well, you to have shop. to go to Chick-fil-A. That's you God's go to Chick-fil-A, exactly. But, you but what, you, what you can say is like, you know, <laughs> Generally, especially in our generation, I feel like we eat out a ton, probably more than is than is healthy or helpful or appropriate. Right. So like I have nothing against eating out. But, you know, if we're if we're doing that like five nights a week and it's like I just don't feel like cooking. So I'm just going to order something in because it's easier. Yeah. Um, that just might not be the most useful uh, way to, to allocate resources. Well, I've heard. Um... I forget who it may have been may have been Pastor Tim that that shared it, but or someone else shared it. But uh, help me understand the concept. So, you know, if you go out to eat, it's almost like it's really no different than hiring someone, h hiring a servant to cook your food, clean up for you, clean yep. it up for you. Exactly. I mean, it, it would you know back in the back in the old days they didn't have those kinds of restaurants, so people would serve you at your house. You would have a kitchen maid or a, or, or a personal chef, and you would just order whatever you wanted, and they would cook it and take care of the cleaning. And so that, you know, so when we, whenever we go out to eat, we are essentially trying to live that kind of a lifestyle where we want someone else to do the cooking, do the cleaning, and, and serve us. But is that always the right thing to do? Mm. Um, is that really the wisest Thing to do so, and I, and we're all familiar with with uh, Matthew chapter six about not laying up treasures in heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus tells the disciples and tells his people, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Now we all know that verse pretty well, and it's a it's a lovely verse. But do we really take it seriously? And like think through what is he saying? I mean, the point is that everything that you buy, and I, I found this to be helpful. I heard it from a, a coworker. He said, "Think of everything that you that you ha have ever bought that you have. At some point, it's either going to end up in the garbage, or someone else is going to own it. Mm. Like everything you have on this earth, garbage, or someone else is going to have it. Yeah. And when you think about it's all like, vanity, right? Just like Ecclesiastes. It's, it's kind of like that. Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's all vanity. Like he, you know, King Solomon accumulates all these things, mm -hmm. and he's like, it's not fulfilling. Right. Because at some point, I store up all this, all this work. Someone else is going to get it, or it, the, the 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 moth and the rust is going to destroy it and eat it. So, you know, is that necessarily saying that it's wrong to have an, an iPhone? Well, no. But the point is, is that where is your affections? Where's your Where's your heart? When the newest gadget comes out, do you have this uh, deep urge inside to like, I want that thing. Mm. You know, I need I need it to, I don't know, be fulfilled or to be connected or to stay, to feel good about myself. 
well, that's probably the wrong motivation for, for having some something such as that, right? Yeah. Now, a different attitude might be like, you know, we're living in this one-bedroom apartment, and, you know, we're pregnant with, with tw- twins or triplets, and we really need to find a way to get more living space. Hmm. Now, that's a, that's a reasonable thing to think about as far as getting a house or getting a, a larger a uh, larger place, or even moving to an area where it's more affordable housing. Yeah, I was to say, provided it's within your means. Yeah. Provided it's within your means, exactly, yeah. or you know, whatever the case may be. But like that's, that's a that's, that seems to be a good motivation. Your motivation is to provide mm-hmm. as a as a responsible person, provide for the things that God has given you. And if He's given you stewardship over children, uh, that that means you need to provide for those children, not neglect them, or whatever the case may be. You know, so in that regard. Um, you know, it's more important to buy the groceries than to buy, than to buy the newest subscription to, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, streaming, streaming device or, or entertainment item you have. If you're neglecting something that you should be doing, uh, I think, you know, that, that reflects a a heart there. So again, lay up the treasures in heaven. Always think about how is this honoring and serving the Lord? Um, me personally, one book I've, I've, been enjoying is a book called Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn. I know there's like tons of books out there, so this is just one of one of many. But he sets forth some really good principles, kind of hitting on what you and I just talked about as far as the scripture passages. And here's some things he says uh, that you might want to ask yourself when you're about ready to buy something. He says, in spending this money, am I acting as if I own it or am I acting as the Lord's trustee? Lord mm-hmm. Steward. And then number que- another question is, what scripture passage requires me to spend this money in this, in this way? So is this like a requirement? Do I need to spend this money according to God's word? Or is it kind of, you know, it's kind of open. I can. I have the freedom to choose or not to choose. Another one is, can I offer this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Like, am I doing this in faith? Can I offer this to the Lord? Or am I kind of ashamed of it? You know, if, if Jesus were to see my wallet, would I kind of be like, ah, uh, you know, hiding myself like Adam in the garden did? And the last question is, will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? So it's kind of like those works that will be burned in the fire when I stand before the Lord and he asks me to give an account for not only my time and my talent, but also my treasure. How will I respond? You know, will the Lord be pleased with how I how I engage in this transaction this particular day. So thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that that's really good. I mean, I think the way it starts is by having kind of, you know, some of these questions that, you know, are really are helpful because what they what those questions give you is a framework, right? So it's not as if, you know, every single time uh, you, you know, someone makes a purchase mm-hmm. that, you know, you're you're checking off this checkbox, uh, this checklist in in your mind that all of these are are being fulfilled every single time. Though you might be, and and that's that may be how things um, start. What, yeah. What what Alcorn I think is getting at, really really helpfully pushing us towards is give us a here's a framework, a, a series of questions you can ask to start. But then what what that does is it it puts you in like. It, it helps you to assess the true value of what you are spending on. Mm-hmm. And that is something you want to be applying it, it, no matter what you buy, right? Any time money goes out the window or out the door or into, you know, someone else's pocket, which mm-hmm. is going to happen. So now, you know, yeah. ask, asking these questions, right? Is this something that, you know, on the day when I'm giving an account to the Lord for this transaction, because we will now, <laughs> yeah. now, is this something that is that can stand, right? Yeah. And 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 maybe the answer is yes. In which case, praise the Lord, right? And and that's not to say I mm. think that that you can never ever 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 spend money on something that is nice, right? Like or a birthday gift. Like a birthday gift, exactly. Like it doesn't mean that there's never any situation, right? But it does mean that that's the exception. That's never the norm. And when it becomes the norm, when money goes out the door as quickly as it comes in, or in excess of how much comes in then that's, you know, at that point, that's a, that's a conversation that should be had. Yeah. And Al- Alcorn touches on, uh, on that, that topic of the balance between materialism and asceticism. So mm-hmm. asceticism is kind of like the early monks. They, they saw the material world and the, and the, and the greed and the materialism. And, the, and they were like, well, it would be more righteous 
and spiritually beneficial for us to purposely just you know wear the shabbiest of clothing live in caves and eat the eat just you know uncooked vegetables um and this turned into this idea that there's a holier group and that holier group are Mm -hmm. the monks the nuns and those orders that just live off of charity and they don't actually indulge in anything in the world and maybe maybe those groups began out of good motivations to try to remain unstained from the world but it quickly developed into a self-righteousness there and uh, Alcorn uh, quotes from Martin Luther uh, about the, the reform Martin Luther about this and Martin Luther said that uh, that he compared um, humanity to like a drunkard who falls off his horse on the right side and then he gets back on the horse and falls off on the left side mm-hmm. and so it's the kind it's the modern concept would be the the ditch on on either side of the road right so on one side of the road you have the you know the the, the Christians who might be spending all their money getting drunk having parties and then the other Christians are like well I'm just gonna live a life of poverty on purpose and I'm just gonna hide myself in the mountains there mm-hmm. and it's like well neither one of them is really getting at it because one is basically saying money is God and the other one is saying money itself is evil inherently evil mm. which is actually not the case because it's simply a created object that, that that's part of God's creation it can be used for evil it can be used for good and the question is, how are you going to use it? Hmm. You know? So, all right. Well, so these are some of the principles going forth there. So you talked about spending less than you earn, uh, choosing things wisely as far as not the newest gadget, uh, maybe looking for the better deal, taking the time to uh, find those good deals that benefit you and your family. And I think, I think yeah, there's, what like, else? There's, there's positive things to be said, too. Yeah. So there's a handful of things in there, just like things to avoid. But then, you know, positively, you know, I go back to Proverbs 6 for a second and, and considering the ant. I mean, it feels to me like this, this could, I'm not saying that this is the immediate application of the text, but it seems to me a derivative application that it's appropriate to have an emergency fund. I mean, if like if I were going to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, God forbid, you know, if if I were to lose my job or you know lose mm-hmm. my my source of income, you know, would I still be able to obey the scripture and provide for my family in that in between phase of of kind of searching out, you know, new new lines of work? Um, yeah, you know, so consider the ant. She's got she's got food stores up. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. All right, so there there is this kind of gathering that takes place for for a rainy day. I mean, generally. You know, conventional wisdom says, you know, three to six months of whatever your living expenses are, you know, have that kind of an emergency fund before you start thinking about investing. Right. So I think, you know, I'm not as familiar with Dave Ramsey's work uh, with his his books and content, um, but I I know that he's helped a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of following a similar trajectory. Like, you know, make sure you pay off your consumer debt and then start up an emergency fund. Make sure you get your, you know, a couple of months worth of savings there. And then, you know, and then from there, you can, you have now gain, you have excess that can be invested for mm-hmm. the future. And that can be, you know, managed along some of the lines that we've been talking about so far. Yeah, I agree. Um, another parable that uh, I find to be pretty useful is the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Mm-hmm. So this kind of covers, yep. um, again, that, that sense of materialism and uh, and whatnot. So Uh, In the parable, so it starts in verse 13 of of Luke chapter 12. So someone in the crowd, so Jesus is teaching, said to him, Teacher, (laughs) I love this. The person goes up to Jesus and says, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it's like, really? Like, I can just think of this guy. He's like, come up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, look, I need you to tell my brother to give me some of his money. Yeah. I picture like two kids at recess. <laughs> like is. Jesus teacher be like, hey, my brother, tell him, tell him to do this. That's, I should probably use this parable now with my children when they say, dad, make her share the toy with me. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, hold on now. But anyways, here's what Jesus Jesus says. He says, but he said to him, this is, this is again, strong words from Jesus. Man, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now that's interesting. It's like, well, I think what, what Jesus is, is maybe hitting up there is, I am not the not the civil magistrate or the courts or whatever the case may be. I mean, because what he's not he's not coming to Jesus for advice or for a question about teaching. He actually wants Jesus to wield power, coercion, to basically make his brother give him money, and so he's revealing the man's heart. Like, careful, you know, 
you're coming to me as a judge or arbitrator over you. And then he says to the group. So he kind of stops talking to the man and now talks to the group. And he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Mm -hmm. So right there, if that man was paying attention, he basically said, oh, Jesus is just calling me covetousness. He's basically saying, I'm being covetous. Yeah, you're right. You are. And he's telling the whole group, though, be on your guard against this. You know, this man, this example is an example of covetousness. And he tells him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, ah, I will do this. I'm going to tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is, this, so is the one who lays up for himself treasures uh, and, and is not rich towards God. So Jesus is kind of tying into the Ecclesiastes passage mm -hmm. about the vanity of wealth and how it passes on to somebody else. And he's basically saying, you know, don't just think that you're going to store up, store up, store up, and that the goal of life is to have so much money that you can just eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of your days. Right. And, like, that's the end of life. Yeah, and I think, like, one of the big gaps there that Jesus is kind of pushing the rich ruler on is, like, this is yeah. not for you. The money is not yours, right? So yeah. when, I, when I think about, to kind of take this for a second and sure, compare sure. it with yeah. uh, Proverbs 13, 22, um, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, yes. uh, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous, right? So like if you're not rich towards God, your wealth is going to be laid up towards, you know, and for the benefit of those who are rich towards God. It's kind of like it's it's not yours to begin with. And recognizing that everything you have is for, <clears throat> yeah. is like just in the same way as our lives are not our own. We were purchased yeah. with a, at a price. We belong to Christ Jesus. So also with all of our finances, our money is not our own. They are for the benefit of the kingdom. They are for the benefit of others of our, you know, be it our families or our communities or mm -hmm. those who are, you know, impoverished that are in our midst, like for the widow and orphan, like our, our gain, like who, I forget exactly what, who it was the author that said this, but um, it's just a phrase that kind of stuck in my mind. Like money is money is good for the good it can do. Mm -hmm. right? And I think one of the points that that gets across is that money is never an end in itself. And when it becomes that, that's incredibly dangerous. And, and that is not, take like, that's how you avoid being rich towards God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and Randy Alcorn, I mean, this was, uh, this is, you know, kind of eye-opening for me. Uh, in his book, he talks about, Christians investing, and mm. he's all for investing, and uh, saving, and and being wise with the money, but he also talks about um, the temptation to be kind of like the rich fool, because uh, there's a way that you can store up a lot of money, and make yourself feel good about it, and say, well, I want to give my children like a lot of money. Mm. Like I want to save up so much mm -hmm. that they don't have to worry about a thing when I die. Mm. And there's this hint of that seems good, that idea from the from the from the outset, right? But Alcorn challenges challenges that and says, Well listen, I mean, how much is enough? Like yes. is your is your goal yes. to huge. give your kids all a million dollars so they never have to work again? Or, you know, is it something else? I mean, yes. you want to give them something to kind of help them mm -hmm. in a kind of an emergency, but they still need to work and have their own work ethic and provide for their own family. Absolutely. Like, like if you're if you're not giving because in, you're doing it in the name of your children, mm -hmm. maybe that's maybe, that's just as problematic. Maybe yeah, it is. It, 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 it absolutely is. And I mean, I think like what what you just said, like Randy said there, and that like what is enough decide that that's something you decide right because if all you're aiming at is this never-ending increase and hiding behind oh it's for my kids it's for my family it's yeah. for you know all of these good things like that can be just as much a farce like you know so so decide on what is enough right mm -hmm. what is and, and, and you can get pretty concrete here like pick a number like if you have some number anything in in uh, increase of that, anything in addition to that goes to, 
it's kind of like having a graduation rate and anything mm -hmm. in excess of that goes to other sources it could be mm -hmm. it could be charities it could be extended family it could be you know your your local church will come to tithing in just a few minutes but you know it, does it look what does it look like to kind of leave something behind for your local church that's yeah. not a bad thing um, so so mm -hmm. have a graduation rate for yourself personally it's not a bad idea yeah yeah because it kind of it limits yeah. that enough, right? Because if you're just chasing after it, chasing after it, there will never be enough. That's true. So that brings us to the topic of tithing, which is going to be more of a <laughs> probably more of a controversial topic, I suppose, for for, for our listeners or and even for ourselves. It's a tricky uh, one. It's a tricky one, it's right? A it's a tricky one. one. Yeah. So so we you know just kind of summarizing where we are so far. We've talked about loving the Lord. We talked about spending carefully and being wise and saving, investing, providing uh, for the needs of your family uh, and, and balancing between asceticism and materialism and ultimately serving the Lord in that regard. But now comes to the point of, okay, what about giving in charity? Uh, first, you know, you got charity in general. So mm -hmm. basically anybody, any, any kind of giving for any kind of need. But then you have, okay, what about giving to the local church? Yeah. Um, for the support of the ministry, you know, the, the, the pastors, uh, evangelists, the missionaries, things like that. You know, how, uh, how much should we give? Um, is there a minimum? Mm. Is there a maximum? And I think one place to probably begin, though, is the general theme of the Old Testament. I mean, and we can, we don't have time to read through all of the passages, but if, if you just... If you just look up tithing, offering, or, or giving in the Old Testament, the theme that we always see is that God wants the first and the best. Like, that is yeah. always the case. And everything else is displeasing to the Lord. I mean, you can look at Cain and Abel's offering to the Lord and, and how one was pleasing to the Lord, one was not pleasing to the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but it doesn't matter when when, he, when God asks, tells the Israelites like you are to give. It's always your, the first fruits, the concept of first fruits. You hear that word used all throughout the Old Testament, because the whole point was you give to God first. You don't give Him the leftovers, right? Um, and you give Him the best, okay? Uh, because that that demonstrates that your heart is trusting in the Lord, and you recognize that it is Him who has blessed you and has and has given it to you. So I think before we get into specific numbers with regards to tithing, um, that should be the principle that guides us. The first and the best is what we should be thinking about when we think about giving to the Lord. Thoughts on that, Dylan? Yeah, I, I, so I certainly agree. I think that um, there is a sense in which that which is given is, so when, when we're talking about tithing in particular, it, it seems to be in, in the text uh, that it is on our increase, which I kind of take to be, you know, mm -hmm. what's your, uh, and, you know, we can come back to this, but kind of like, what's your what's your take-home pay, right? And so the mm -hmm. kind of the tithe is, is given on whatever that increase is. And so, you know, one of the most vexing questions that's, you know, that's plagued this discussion has been is this, you know, kind of when we talk about tithing, mm -hmm. if indeed we grant that the tithe is something that's incumbent on Christians today, which is a question unto itself, you know, if you say yes, then is it before taxes or after taxes? And I, you know, that's something that we can, we can come to. But sure. so I think there's, there's at least two different kind of ways of thinking about the tithe and kind of, you know, you were saying, you know, and that means 10th, right? The tithe means 10th. Well, so there's, so oh, there's two sorry. different, well, there's at least two views on that, right? Okay. So, one view, which I which I hold tentatively, because the evidence there is evidence on the other side of this. But one view is you you the tithe is ten percent on your on your increase. So it's not on the property you had last year, but it's on your increase, right? So so in other words, in theory, the church could not ask you to tithe on the basis of your property like a property tax. Okay. And, and now why not? It's because your property doesn't constitute increase year over year. Right, so it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not income in that sense. So, um, like, if I own a house that's a hundred thousand dollars, the church is not saying you need to pay us, like, you know, ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, another view, however, in addition to this kind of like ten percent tithe, is some hold, and and to be honest, this is a very very common view held among exegetes whom I respect very highly. Um, 
So some others hold that there were actually three tithes in, in, the, in Old the Old Testament. Testament. There was the Levitical tithe, which was 10%. There was the festival tithe, which was another 10%. And then there was the poor tithe, which would be about, uh, you know, three and a half percent per year, 10% so, every third so year. So one's for the poor, one's for the Levites. And then one's for the festival. And the festival. Yeah, okay. the feasts, exactly. And so now, so there are some people who argue that the actual tithes that were incumbent on the Israelites was closer to like 23 and a third percent of their wow. income. Yeah. So so I I hold tentatively to the former view that the tithe is 10%. That there's one 10% gathering. And that that and that that tithe went to different places oh, depending see. on the year. So the tithes that in that So there's one tithe one that tithe. went to different Different, purposes, different, different averages, places. some for the poor, some for the Levites, and some for the festivals. Right. So okay. now, and and again, I I I'm teachable on this very much so because I you know there yeah. there are some questions that are raised by by that view that I'm that I'm sharing. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, now now with that, now if one of the questions that can be asked is you know is <clears throat> is tithing something that's required? Right. For so, the New Testament believer. Right. So right. now now it's a tricky question because. When when you say tithing isn't required, somebody might somebody might think giving isn't required. They might be thinking of tithing in its technical sense in mm. the old covenant. Mm -hmm. um, some might say that tithing isn't encouraged, and but when they say that, what they usually mean is you know the ten percent isn't encouraged. So you got to be like ferret out what exactly Careful people what they mean. mean. By the word tithing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then some people say, hey, the tithe was actually thirteen, fifteen, twenty percent or higher. So that's your tithe, right? So. Some people could be meaning the percentages. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to ferret out like what exactly is meant by the word. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think... So we'll start with giving then. Yeah. Well, so if if you put it that way, if you're talking about giving, then I think... So everybody's kind of in agreement that that as giving is something... Go. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I don't want to say... That's not entirely true. Some <laughs> people might say that if you give, it should be something that the Holy Spirit, you know, spurns on within your heart to do in that moment so that, you know, you don't necessarily like, you know, a, a plan to give. You don't have to give. If you don't yes. give, you're you're not sinning by not giving, right? So I gotcha. there, there are some who would who would hold to that. Um, I don't hold that view. And me neither. And for, for, a, for yeah. a number of reasons, yeah. right? It's not just our personal view. It's not just, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's, I mean, first of all, it kind of puts the onus on a uh, heart of a heart of a sinner, you know, still bound for glory and still, uh, yeah. you, you know what I mean. So that's that's problematic in itself. But on the other, but you know, another problem is there are lots of like giving in the new covenant is commanded. I think pretty clearly. You're, you're you are well, even in, yeah, certainly throughout all of the Bible, you're not to forget the poor. You're not to forget the poor. You're you're and and with tithing in particular, I do think that. It goes to uh, the local church, you know, when when uh, Paul, right, you know, we're not to muzzle the ox while it treads out grain. Um, you know, you had asked a question earlier about, you know, where exactly or to whom should you tithe? And and general because some people be say, OK, some people might say, well, I tithe, I give. But my giving can go to a you know a whole bunch of different places. You know maybe yeah. maybe we give to a Samaritan's Purse or Samaritan. You know maybe yeah. we give to Wycliffe Bible Translators. Yeah, sure. Maybe we give to. But the 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 biblical model seems to be that so when the tithe was brought, it was brought to the elders at the gate, yeah. or sometimes to the Levites at the temple. So that seems to be setting a pattern where the tithe properly goes first and foremost to the local church. Now mm -hmm. there's an exception. The exception is um, in 2 Kings 4, uh, there's a passage where it seems that the the tithes were, were paid to uh, the sons of the prophets, right? So in other words, they're over against the Levites in the Southern Temple. So that in some circumstances, it does seem that there were instances where money went to agencies that promoted the work of the kingdom, mm -hmm. right? So you, you might gather as a local congregation at your members meeting, which by the way, it's a good reason to go to your members meetings. Yeah. It's important to do, yeah. partly because you're, you have a say as a member in helping to set a budget for that congregation. And, and now where is the money going to go? And so if you think that, you know, the ministry at Hilltown Church should go to support, you know, ABC ministry, mm -hmm. Bible translators or something along those lines, go to your meeting and see what it looks like to make, you know, what funds might be available to allocate to that. But by, but that's the exception. By and large, generally, the rule of thumb is tithe properly understood, I think, goes to the local church. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and another, like, 
you mentioned uh, the passage uh, that that Paul uses in First Timothy chapter five. Um, uh, do not do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then he quotes also, the laborer deserves his wages. Yes. And so he's basically saying in verse 17 of chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And he's actually referring to double pay. Double pay. Yeah. So he's not talking about just, oh, I honor you. You're doing such a good job. You know, I mean, that's, that's all nice and everything. But he's actually quoting yeah. from passages regarding pay and provision from the Old Testament to, to advocate for that. So the whole the whole point is that the the, the preachers who are teaching and preaching to and, and providing for the spiritual nourishment of the people uh, should be paid. Mm. And so if a Christian like honestly from my, my perspective uh, understanding it um, if a Christian is saying I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, but my money is all mine and I will not give it to the local church, I would say that's a sin. I, mean, I would say the person is Malachi 3a, right? You're robbing God. How, you're robbing where God. Where you rob me in tithes and offerings, in right? In tithes and offerings, yes, <clears throat> so, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it is giving is something that to your local church, as a, as a member of a local church, giving to that local church is something that's incumbent on New Covenant believers, I believe. And I think you share that I view as well. I would completely agree with that. Now, the question comes down to, is there a percentage that's required or is there a guideline? So uh, for what it's worth, and, and this is what uh, Randy Alcorn also advocates. Um, uh, I didn't get it from him, but but uh, in this regard, I agree with what he says. He would he has argued in his book that the ten percent he would that's what he would call the tithe is a ten percent is a is a a very good guideline. And for some people, and and he would actually say that it's a starting point in a lot of ways. Yeah. That that the, the typical theme. Uh, between the, in the new covenant is an expansion or or a raising of the bar yeah. in some regard. So, for example, when Jesus says, uh, "You've heard it say, do not commit adultery," but then he says, "But I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you're already guilty of adultery." So, in the old covenant law, the only rule was that you didn't have to actually commit the physical act of adultery. But Jesus is saying it's way deeper and way bigger than that. And you're actually guilty of it by just even looking or even thinking in your mind about that woman. Yeah, right? and, and I think in that context, in, yeah. that, in that example, right, Jesus is not um, overturning anything in no. there. But he's, he's, he's clarifying that which the prescription pointed towards, yeah. that what, what it was really getting at. Like, the, so the prohibition for murder, it's not like... Oh, I can be angry with my, my brother right. and say all hatred. kinds of things, have hatred, and that's no big deal. So Jesus is like, no, if you rightly understand the prohibition for murder, if you rightly understood the prohibition to adultery, you would see they point yeah. beyond themselves to these deeper principles. So I think, I, I mean, I agree with, with what you and what so, uh, are saying. So applying it to the tithe it, section. To the tithe section, like, it's, yeah. it's an, in general, the grace we receive in the new covenant is is full and and, yeah. and is is an increase from the the light that is shining on that grace from the old covenant it's kind of like you know, it's being described as being in a dark room and and all of the furniture is there but you just can't see it as clearly now yeah. in the new covenant you get the light of the world coming into the world to flip everything on it's like radiance bright you can see crystal clear now because christ has yeah. come so yeah. just as just as the grace we have received in christ in the new covenant is that much more uh we, i think we were just sitting under uh that teaching in in uh in hebrews and, yeah right so how much greater what we have now in christ is uh, yeah. so much more likewise with giving <laughs> no. that, that the same principle applies yeah and i was saying uh and alcorn applies that and he actually takes a look at how the New Testament church, I certainly early on that the biggest theme amongst them, not everyone did this, which is fine, uh, but a lot of them would sell all their possessions and share amongst each other, whoever had need. So they took care of their needs as a, as a body of believers first and foremost. Yeah. Like they made sure that there was none that was lacking and they had no problem selling everything. And that doesn't mean that selling everything is a requirement, but what it seems to show is that uh, they went, a lot of them went above and beyond 10%. Yeah. Like they went all in with everything. So again, it's that concept where in the old covenant, like there was a specific, you know, kind of a, a lower expectations or, or whatnot, but then the expectations grew and expanded uh, in the new covenant. And so I guess for me, um, I, I would say 
uh, to any new believer that's, that comes to me and asks me a question about giving, I would say, um, where I, well, well, whereas I wouldn't bind their conscience and say, you, you better give 10%, I would say, brother, sister, I think 10% is a good, like, try to get there as soon as you can. I think it's a good, it's a good starting point. It's a good goal. Um, and we should try to grow from there. Um, but maybe some people uh, who are like new believers and, and they were living a lifestyle of, uh, of, of, of wickedness and they got themselves into all kinds of, of, of debt that they shouldn't have got themselves into or whatnot, it might not be feasible right away mm-hmm. that they can reach that goal. And I wouldn't want them to beat themselves over the head yeah. or, or, you know, whatever, like at home. Uh, because they just can't get to 10% yet. Right. I mean, I would say work towards it, but it might take some time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I, I share that kind of, that kind of pastoral angle, right? Where it's like, you know, generally, you know, before you start trying to hone in on a precise percentage yeah. on, on biblical grounds, I think it sh- like tie, like giving should feel sacrificial, right? Yes. It, that's, that's a, I think that's an okay rule of thumb. So you know, when the question arises, how much, you know, less technical answer, but a more pastoral answer might be, it should feel sacrificial. It's not just like, you know, so you th- you think of the, the woman who threw, you know, pennies in the plate and it's That's like, right. you know, she gave more than everyone else because she gave of what little she had. And, you know, here's all these, these other religious leaders throwing, and they're throwing twenties in the plate. Right. But, but, that that's that's like 20. nothing to them you know what i mean benjamin benjamin yeah well that's like nothing to them so you know and i it's easy perhaps easier for me to say this i'm not an elder at hilltown or anything like that but <laughs> honestly you know giving to hilltown should feel like it's sacrificial it should feel like it pinches a little bit and it's interesting you mentioned the widow's offering and that parable is beautiful not a parable it's actually just a a, a, a lesson in reality because if you read so it's uh i'm in i'm in mark chapter 12 uh verse 41 and this is just um, this is so interesting. I never even paid attention to this early on. We always kind of get to the lesson. Mm-hmm. But verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, could you imagine that? Like, he just comes in there, and for however long, he sits down and just watches people mm-hmm. give. He's just watching. Like, what if you were in church and someone is just sitting in the back watching <laughs> like, you know, like st- staring at you as you bring out your wallet or he's watching you with the plate. Right. What do you, I was like, what do you want? I wonder what you're going to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he says, and a poor widow came. He says, many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So he's he's praising her for sacrificially giving and kind of diminishing the rich people who are, they're just giving because they can. Yeah, like put a 20 in the plate and forget about it. Right? That's right. It's like, I, yeah, I've done my duty. I've paid my time. I did my there due diligence. I did, I did yeah. my thing. But like, there, yeah. but there's no there's no spirit of sacrifice in it, right? In yeah. terms of like, so yeah, I, I totally agree. No, so I mean, and again, I I don't want to I don't want to hit someone with just a number, but it, yeah, I agree it should be sacrificial, it should be predominantly to the local church for the upkeep of the kingdom and providing for the salaries of the of of the people who are in in that full time ministry. I know a lot of people don't like that terminology full time ministry. It's not trying to say that like some people are not doing ministry. Everyone has has a job to do in God's kingdom. But the people who have devoted themselves, the elders who have devoted themselves to the teaching and preaching of God's word, as Paul says, are worthy of double honor. Now, at the same time, and I, I know that some might give us pushback on this, and I, I, struggle, I you know, you and I in our own discussions privately, Dylan, mm. have had a discussion about the concept of giving cheerfully. Mm. So if we say to ourselves or to others, 10% man, aim for that, get that. And, and we also say, sacrificial brother you need to be sacrificial mm-hmm. this should be sacrificial it should pinch a little bit then someone might say well what about the cheerfulness mm. how can i give cheerfully if i'm like sweating over here mm. giving this 10 percent, and it does hurt mm. and i just i don't feel joy mm. in doing that you know paul says in second corinthians chapter 9 you know a, a, a verse 
verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. So where does that fit in to this discussion of sacrificial giving and also that aiming for a goal? So, so the Christian's yeah. joy is Christ. Yeah. That is your joy. I mean, he is your portion. He is your inheritance. Sure. Right? So like, like what joy it is to see the kingdom advanced. What joy it is to have an opportunity to, to, to obey his word. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, obey what I'm saying to you. Right? So th yeah. there's, there's joy in this for the Christian. Right? So I, I would say if, if, there, if you're out there listening to this and, you know, it's when it comes to giving, if that's something that you... It's not joyful. If it's not joyful, if it's something that you struggle to find joy in, I would say continue to pursue that joy and partly by checking where the source of your joy is, right? So oh. remember one of the things that I one of the things that I think is is helpful just when it comes to money is, you know, what gets measured gets managed. So measure your money, track how it's being coming in and how it's going out. Mm -hmm. But when you do that, this is why it's so important to keep an emotional distance from it. Because by getting emotionally involved with your money, you're much more apt to locate joy there, right? So if you have kind of like a an operational or, you know, kind of like a cold calculated, like just distance from it, when it comes to money, that's a good thing, right? You want to have mm -hmm. that distance so that your joy can be reserved for, you know, that which is actually going to fill your cup, which is Christ, mm -hmm. right? So he is our joy. So if, if someone's out there and you're wrestling to find joy in this, and, and I can I empathize with, with this, right? Because there have definitely been times in my own life where it's been a struggle to find joy in giving or even mm -hmm. to give in some instances, right? It can be it can be hard to do that. And I would say mm -hmm. in those instances, you know, ask that next question. If I'm struggling to find joy in this, then where is my joy coming from? Mm -hmm. Then and and pursue that deeply because if that's tied to money then, you know, that's, that's when danger is afoot. And that's when, honestly, like, it can be good to, to systematize this. There are, there are ways yeah. now with today's technology, even online. You know, one of the tips that, that people give when it comes to savings is to try to automate the process so that it never even hits your bank account, right? And you can a lot of times have... Or even know, giving. Or, well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The same thing could be done for, for giving. So there are ways to, to kind of like psychologically tweak it. But I think, you know, for all the tactics that can be employed, you still want to ask the strategic question about joy because you're absolutely right. I mean, the Lord loves a, cheer, a cheerful giver. And, and that cheer is something that, um, that, that ideally is, is wrapped in with, yeah. with. And now, now I think if you're not feeling cheer, if you're not feeling that joy. Ask why. Ask why, but then I also don't think that the lack of cheer gives us leeway to not give, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, still give. Like, it's, it, just in the same way, you might have your daily devotions, right? Time in the Word. And not every day in the Word is going to be this mountaintop experience where it's like, oh my gosh, I, I feel, I can see and There's sense so and feel. Much I, I can perceive yeah. the, the love of Christ just pouring over yeah. me. In this. And some experiences in God's Word really are like that. You know, some are just kind of, you're reading and you might not feel that way right yeah and but 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 that does not mean okay then just don't you know just stop devotions so say the same kind of thing applies mm -hmm. with giving and money giving to your local church is like you still do this because it is i, I think a, a matter of obedience to do it but now within that framework fight for joy yeah yeah and uh when paul uh mentions that in second corinthians he quotes from exodus 25 mm -hmm. which uh is moses uh in, in verse 2 he says God says to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. Um, and this happens again in chapter 35 of the book of, book of Exodus. So the whole point is that uh, with regards to the building of the sanctuary or the tabernacle, um, God wants the people of Israel as their heart moves them to give. But the thing is, is that you see that re the reaction is amazing. Like every single family in Israel is giving like abundantly and there is plenty for the sanctuary. All of the stones and the spices and the skins, uh, the wood, the acacia wood, the fragrant incense, uh, the ephod, like all the items are right there. 
And what's interesting about that is that all of this takes place after Israel exited the land and plundered the Egyptians. So remember, the Lord, basically in his sovereignty, had the Egyptians give their silver and gold to Israel. And Israel now is honoring the Lord mm. with what they had been blessed with because it was never theirs. Mm. Right? It all belonged to God anyways. And he gives it to them and they are steward of it. So I think that's a, a good point, Dylan. Um to ask ourselves where our joy and, and cheer is coming from. Um, we are running short on time, and we don't really probably have time to look into whether you tithe on the gross, you tithe on the net. Uh, uh, Dylan and I are, are, are slightly different opinion on this matter. Um, I'll, I'll give you the, 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 the Cliff Notes version. Uh, Dylan's, uh, Dylan argues, uh, if I get this correct, uh, on the on the, uh, at least not at least after taxes because you never actually saw that money that money was never in your possession Caesar basically came and took it uh, before you even had it to uh, to use well yeah it's with. like a, I, I I and again I'm teachable on this yeah um, I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around how that which I never see can never spend and can never destroy can be constituted as my increase. I see. So that's that's, I see. that's kind of and, so I see that as kind of yeah. take home. But again, yeah. I'm teachable on it. And I hold to the to the gross. To the gross yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah. but when we were when we were talking about this earlier, you were you were kind of more firm on the ten percent and I was a little bit more flexible, like you know, a Christian mm. might be it might be okay for like less than ten percent and not be disobeying the Lord. But you know what, it all works out in the end because if you do ten percent of the net and I do eight percent of the gross it pretty much it, all comes out all in the wash. Yeah. On the, <laughs> the numbers in are the same. At the end of the day, yeah, it yeah, works yeah. out the same. No. Um, <laughs> but any last words uh, uh, for our listeners on this topic before uh, we close this out? I mean, I would just say that you know, when when it comes to when it comes to tithing, it, it is a question that is fraught with um, some some questions because it, it impinges on hermeneutics. It actually impinges on how you put your whole Bible together, what you do with various offerings and tithes as as they're laid out in various covenantal structures um and and now how that gets applied to a new covenant context is is a, a an in-depth uh question or the question is not in-depth but the answer is in-depth yeah um i say you know just in in general spend less than you earn you know cons- try generally to consume less than you produce and and i think that you know, remember that in all you do, you're you're working for the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. In all in all the ways that you manage your finances, remember it is always stewardship. Um, you know, we don't want to be of a, a mentality that says, "Well, you know, God promised to take care of me, so I don't have to worry. I don't have to think about money management at all. Like it comes in, it goes out. I don't know where where it goes, but you know, the the Lord's doing His thing. Yeah, it's magic. It's it's magic. Yeah, that that is not that's not helpful, right? The Lord is. Uh, over it all, uh, and he does promise to take care of us, but he also instructs us to take responsibility for uh, an action in our our various situations. So we still need to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to our care. So I would say that's probably the the key takeaway. And now within that framework, there's there's a ton of resources that you can oh, pursue. Yeah. You know, I, like I mentioned, you know, there's lots of uh, resources online. Uh, lots of content, you know, and I, I mentioned various tools like I use Mint.com to track I uh, budgeting. Yeah. Um, I I also use a, a website called Personal Capital, which I which can is is better on the investment tracking side of things. Um, but but Personal Capital is a, is has decent budgeting tool as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so much can be automated these days. I know. You, you know what I mean. So uh, and I know that that might not be as e- that might be easier said than done for some of our listeners who who are not as kind of leaning into the the technology of of saving and investment. Yeah. Um, but for but for many who are kind of you know in a, in a similar age bracket, and even some who are older, you know there are tools that we can avail ourselves of. Yeah. Um, and you know it, just saying that right now just makes me think. You know, to whom much is given, much will be required. Right. We have all of the access to this great information and these wonderful tools that can help yeah. streamline doing so much good. Um, yeah. You know, the, and and how we manage our money is a spiritual issue to which we'll yeah. be called to account for. And, you know, we want to hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a good point. Yes, faithful servant. That is a, that's the important thing to, to keep in mind there. And again, there's tons of books out there. I mean, you've mentioned Dave Ramsey. There's David Platt's Radical. There's there's Randy Alcorn's Managing God's Money. Um, all these are, are useful tools. I'm not saying that pick one over the other, but I, I think they all kind of are saying the same message. And so you can find those to be uh, useful tools uh, as well. So 
uh, with that, uh, uh, we really uh, appreciate you guys tuning into our to our podcast today. Um, again, if you have any questions or, or want to have any follow up discussions about tithing, about personal finance, just email us um, at uh, two guys in a Bible podcast at gmail That's the number two, or you can just go to our website uh, two guys in a Bible and you can submit questions there. So, again, uh, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Dylan, thank you for uh, your insights on this. And uh, also for our, our, our listeners out there supporting us, thank you for your support and your giving that allows us to keep functioning uh, in this way. Yeah. So until, uh, until next time, take care and God take bless. Care. God bless y'all.